Thank you for tuning in today at Propel Church. Whether you're watching through YouTube or listening through a podcast, we want to say thank you. Our hope at Propel is that you would be propelled into an authentic relationship with Jesus. From wherever you are tuning in, we hope that you are encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Come on, don't it feel good to be in the house of God today? Got some expectation in the air. We're believing that God is going to do some incredible things as you and I seek after him. And hey, if we haven't had the privilege of meeting, my name is Pastor Nick Newman. My wife and I started this church almost six years ago, and uh, we're excited. Come on, we're coming up on our six-year birthday as a church, and man, I'm pumped for it. But I just want to say, if you are a first-time guest with us, we want to say welcome. Uh, If you're a first-time guest you're considered a guest second time, your family, and so we are so honored to have you with us this morning. And we don't want anything from you. The only thing we'd love to do is to be able to say thanks for being here with us for the first time. So be sure to stop by the new here lounge on your way out. Church, could you do me a favor? Could you help me welcome every person here for the first time? Come on, come on. And if you're tuning online, we want to say good morning to you as well. We have been in a message series called Don't Quit the Dip. We've been walking through the book of Nehemiah, and in the book of Nehemiah, we have seen that in chapter one, when we become aware of a problem, the best thing we can do is tag God in, because prayer is not our last resort, it's our first response. All right, 1030, you're going to have to help me. I've been telling you for the last couple weeks, I'm going to need, because I'm preaching 10% better right now than you responded. It's going to increase, because I'm going to keep going. So we talked about prayer in week one day. In week two, we talked about finding favor, that if you and I were people who walked with integrity and we asked big, God would be responsible for the outcomes. And then in week three, we talked about discovering how God uniquely wired and designed you because he made you weird on purpose. That that's not an accident, it's intentional, but your uniqueness was meant to be completed by being a part of the body of Christ. That we're not doing this solo, that we're called to be together. And we talked about discover, and you'll hear a little bit more about that later on. But today, I want to talk to you about what to do when you encounter haters in your life. See, we've gone through Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah chapter 2, Nehemiah chapter 3, and when we get to chapter 4, we see that Nehemiah has some haters, some people who are opposing the work that he is doing for God. And so to give us a common definition of what a hater is, a hater is a person who greatly dislikes a specified person or thing It's a critical or negative person. Come on, how many of you just thought of seven people in your life? You know, like you don't nudge them, right? We're glad you're at church today. These are haters. Nehemiah has these people in his life, but actually all throughout Scripture, we see that there are people who greatly opposed men and women of God who were trying to do incredible things for God, who were just trying to walk in obedience. We see this in the story of Joseph. Joseph had 12 brothers. He was one of the younger brothers, and Joseph tells his brothers that God has given him an incredible dream, that he's going to one day be king over all of his other brothers. How many of you know if you got younger siblings? That don't work out. (laughs) So they hated him. And they didn't just hate him, they sold him into slavery. And Then we see in the story of Noah that God had told Noah to build a boat because he was going to send a flood and he was really going to start over. 
And there were people who were like, dude, you're an idiot. Why are you building a boat? Noah had some haters. We see in the story of Elijah with Jezebel, he's got some haters. We see this over and over. We see this with King Nebuchadnezzar in uh, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We even see this, that baby Jesus had a hater named King Herod. You say, why in the world would baby Jesus have a hater? Well, it's because King Herod knew that it's easier to kill a kid than it is to kill a king. And if you can stop something in the early stages, it'll never become what it was designed to be all along. That's why the enemy has a scheme and an attack against your children. Because he knows if he can stop what God's trying to do in them at a young age, he can thwart everything else. But we're grateful that the weapons don't prosper. Jesus, even to his death, would have people who opposed him and mocked him. And we see the same thing in the book of Nehemiah. And so if you have a Bible, we'll go to Nehemiah chapter 4 today, and we'll start in verse 1. You can use your iPhone, your iPads, or your eyelids. It's going to be on the screen in front of me. Nehemiah chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, it says this. It says, Simbalat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. Now, if you're not familiar with what Nehemiah has been doing, the walls of Jerusalem have been torn down. God has burdened his heart to do something about it. And he's gathered a large group of people to come rebuild the wall. If you want to know how many people, go watch last weekend's message. It's on YouTube. So we see that God is, or Nehemiah is rebuilding this wall. And you would think sometimes when you're doing incredible things for God, that everybody's going to be pumped about it. Like he's rebuilding something that's in ruins and yet people are still opposed. Every person I've ever met that's done great things for God has had incredible opposition in doing so. So he says, when they learned that we were rebuilding the wall, he flew into a rage and he mocked the Jews saying in front of his friends, what does this bunch of uh, poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think that they can build the wall in a single day just by offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think that they can make something of stones from rubbish or heap, and the charred ones at that. Tobiah the Ammonite. You ever get lost when you're reading? <laughs> Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked alongside the top of it. Nehemiah is trying to do a great thing. He's trying to rebuild the wall and. Now he's got some haters, and those haters come in the form. You see it at the end of uh, really chapter 2, and you see it in chapter 4 as well. There's a guy named Sabalat, Tobiah, and Geshem. And these three people were trying to get into Nehemiah's head and to get him to quit building the wall that God had called him to. Now, we are talking about haters, and in just a second, I'm going to address some people who might not have haters, but you are a hater, right? I'm going to address you in a second. But before I do that, I want you to be really careful because I think sometimes we prematurely label everybody a hater. Like just because they don't agree with everything you're doing or they, they try and help you figure out the details of something, you think they're automatically in opposition to what God has called you to. Not everybody in your life is a hater. Oftentimes, God will bring people into your life for the purpose of sharpening and developing what he's crafting within you. That's why Proverbs teaches us that iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Iron doesn't sharpen iron without sparks and friction. 
So there's probably gonna be some sparks flying in some of your relationships, and it doesn't mean that they hate you. It may mean that they wanna help you and they wanna develop you. So don't prematurely label somebody a hater, but really you can identify who the haters are in your life when they never have anything positive to say. Where they're always trying to tear down and they're always incredibly critical. And for me, the way I've identified a hater in my own life is the difference between a person who critiques and a person who gives criticism. See, a person who critiques, their goal is to help you get better. The goal is to actually build you up and come alongside you. A person who is critical or a person who gives criticism normally just tears down. And how many times have we torn people down in the past and we've just said, well, you know, I'm blunt and I'm just being honest. You can, personality is never an excuse for sinfulness. So you can be blunt and honest without being a jerk. And I think that's what God wants for us. You say, well, I'm just playing devil's advocate. Devil don't need no more advocates. He, he, don't, need, he don't need your help. He does a good job on his own. We need people in the body of Christ who are gonna encourage, who are gonna lift up. I think sometimes we become haters because we forget that our words have tremendous power. Like your words carry so much weight. In fact, if you look at Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, this is what the author has to say. He says that the tongue can bring life or death. It's actually the other way, death or life. It doesn't say that your tongue has the ability to bring death, life, or there's just this neutral gray zone where we don't really know if it's good or bad. It, it's, it's so black and white that every word that comes out of our mouth is either a word of death or a word of life. And then, I love how it ends. Those who love to talk will reap its consequences. Come on, how many of you have been there? <laughs> Your words have tremendous power. Your words carry so much weight. If you grew up anything like me, when, when you were younger, people would say, well, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. That's a big lie because some of your deepest wounds have come from someone else's shortest phrases. Some of the things that have hurt you the most have come from some of the people who were closest to you when they spoke words of death over your life. And you had built up hope and expectation and anticipation that they would breathe life into you, but what you received was something different. Many of us still today are carrying around the wounds from people who spoke words over us, and you've been trying to prove your parents wrong for your entire life, or that teacher who spoke that over you, and they spoke words of death over you like you are a mistake. They spoke things over you like you'll never amount to anything. They said you're unlovable or unworthy. And those are the words that when spoken over our lives do so much damage. And we've got people even today in our world, as our world continues to get darker, which if you're a follower of Jesus, Peter says, don't be surprised. It ain't gonna get better until Jesus comes back. So if you're like, man, the world's getting worse, that's what the Bible told us it would do. We should probably need to read our Bible more. So, but when people speak those words of death over you, I think there's two options. You either embrace it or reject it, which is why the first thing I have for you this morning is this. They might speak it, 
but I don't have to receive it. The work could have stopped with Nehemiah if he began to believe that what they were doing could fail at any moment. Now, some of us have the understanding. When, we, when Tori and I started the, this church uh, almost six years ago, here's what we knew. Uh, 82% of church plants fail. Now, I'm like a business guy. Uh, if there's something that has an 18% success rate, you don't do it. You don't. You just walk away from it. But we knew this is what God had called us to. We had the understanding that at any point, if this wasn't from God, it could fail. But even when things got tough, we couldn't buy into the lies of the enemy. We had to believe that God had called us to this thing. And I want to encourage you today that if you don't replace a lie with truth, you will always believe a lie. I wonder how many of us have bought into lies before. I would just say you need to begin to replace those lies with the truth from God's word. So the next time somebody looks at you and they say, hey, you're a mistake, you remind them that God doesn't make mistakes, that God knew you before you were ever in your mother's womb. He knows the hairs on your head and you're not a mistake. When someone looks at you and they say, you will never amount to anything, you remind them that Jeremiah 29, 11 declares that God has a plan for your life. It's a plan to prosper and not to harm you. And in him, you'll have all the success you need. When someone speaks it over your life that you are unlovable, you remind them that God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to die in your place. Are you tracking with me? You need to replace the lies of the enemy with God's truth. When they tell you that you aren't worthy or valuable, you remind them that scripture says you were bought with a price. And in his eyes, you obviously had value or he wouldn't have died in your place. You replace the lies of the enemy with God's truth. And as you begin to do that, you'll begin to see that those words of death don't have power over you. So what happens is Nehemiah doesn't receive the words that they have at all. But the problem is they're not going to go away. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem are always going to have something negative to say. They're always going to speak uh, words of doubt into them. But I think one of the best things you can do is start having a quality control check for what you let into your life. Because not everybody's words hold equal weight. So people speak words into my life all the time. I'm not opposed to words. I think scripture is clear that there are biblical, they're prophetic words. They have power. They yield great results. But the first person, I check those words with two people typically. I check them with God and I check them with my wife. So when someone comes to me and they, they say, Pastor, you... You're very vengeful. You, you, you're aggressive and, and mean. I go to my wife and I say, hey, girl. <laughs> you know what they said about me? They said I'm aggressive. I'm, I'm vengeful. And she'd say, no, that's not it. But, it, but if, they, if, they, if, I, if you say to me, hey, you, you're a little intimidating sometimes, I go to my wife. I say, babe, am I intimidating? She said, yeah, you kind of intimidating. <laughs> Because if you don't have a filter for the words, you'll receive every seed that's planted. And some seeds that are sown are not seeds from God. They're seeds from the enemy. And what you let get planted is what ultimately gets rooted. And scripture says it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. So rather than just dealing with what comes out, you got to start addressing what goes in. 
So they might speak it, but I don't have to receive it. So what does Nehemiah do? Nehemiah keeps moving forward. He keeps doing things. And this is what it says in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 4 through 5. Then I prayed. Now these people were talking negative things. Sanballat, Tobiah, their group were all mocking and laughing him. And the way that our world teaches us to deal with people who oppose us is that we would lash out at them. We would come uh, attack them. Come on, some of y'all, y'all, you hood and holy. You gonna cut people, you know, like... You get aggressive. Sometimes we just run to social media and we start passive aggressively calling people out but never tagging them in the post. You know, you've been there. Quit doing that. <laughs> what does he do? He prays. And 21 days of prayer, we, we take two times a year to spend intentionally seeking after God and praying. But when we f finish 21 days of prayer, it's not the end of prayer. We just end our intentional focus on it. But the goal is that 21 days of prayer would be a launching pad that on day 22, you would keep running to God with everything you've got going on. So the first thing Nehemiah does is he doesn't address them. He turns to God. He says, so I prayed, hear us, our God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads. And may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. Now, can I tell you what Nehemiah did? He got a little caught up in his feelings. <laughs> but here's what it shows me. You can turn to God even when you're angry. You can turn to God even when you don't want what's best for your enemies. Regardless of how you feel about the people in your life who are opposing you, this is what Jesus teaches us to do, which is to pray for your haters. To pray for them. Yeah. And you might be saying, well, pastor, I don't, I don't feel like praying for them. I know. You're probably not going to. But if you want to live like Jesus lives, you got to do what Jesus did. Right. And part of that means praying for people who dislike you, praying for people who come against you. And when Nehemiah makes that decision to start praying, he doesn't engage with them first. He turns to God and he starts to pray. And he starts to pray, I believe, as he does that, God begins to not work on them, but to change him. Because that's God's desire for prayer. It's not that you would pray and seek after him and he would change everybody else. God wants to change you. And what image does Jesus want us to be molded into? It comes in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 43. It says this, You have heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you only love those who love you, what reward is that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that. He said, look, the IRS has that under control. If you're kind to only your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. What Jesus is really teaching us in Matthew chapter 5 is what it looks like to be his follower. Now, if you're in here this morning and you're still exploring faith and 
you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, first of all, I want you to know that Propel Church is a place where you can belong before you believe. It's even a place you can belong before you behave. Come on, somebody. Like, that's good news. But that message right there is the standard that God calls every single follower of Jesus to, to love your enemy. So I don't know, I don't know how to love my enemy. First, you pray. You pray for those who persecute you. And when you pray for them, I think the best prayer you can do is, Lord, I pray that as they spend time with you, they would encounter you. God, that your word would become living and active in their own life. And maybe they don't know Jesus, so maybe the prayer becomes, Lord, would you open up opportunities for people to be able to share your love and your grace with them? You don't have to keep fighting every single person who opposes you. You need to commit yourself to praying for them. Remember, Tori and I had started Propel, and we were about six or eight months in, and uh, one day I was at Subway, and I, I should have known I was going to get attacked by the enemy at Subway because I hate Subway. Um, no offense, Subway, if you're watching. But, um, <laughs> but I was at Subway here in Mount Pleasant. I was standing in line with uh, this lady, and, and she was telling me, we, we ended up talking about church, and as a pastor, I'll invite people to church all the time. I just never tell them I'm the pastor because it just feels, they're like, of course you love your church. You'll work there, you know? So I'm like, I, just, I was like, hey, I'd love for you to come hang out at church with me one Sunday. And she says, no, I would never go to that church. And I was like, okay, okay. Well, why not? And she said, did you know that that pastor wears jeans and tennis shoes I was thinking to my, I'm standing in the subway. I'm like, I know she did not just call my Jordans tennis shoes, right? Like, <laughs> oh, hold up. But I'm not going to sit there and fight this lady in the middle of subway. That's not, that's not kingdom work. Right. So when I got home, I just said, hey, Lord, I pray you'd plant her in a healthy, life-giving church. I pray that church would be passionate about lost people, seeing lost people reach for the kingdom of God to advance. God, I pray that as she spends time with you, you would speak to her in ways that maybe she hasn't heard in years. Lord, open her eyes that she might see you. I don't have to pray for God to change her. I'm going to pray for God to meet her, to have an encounter. Here's the next thing you do, because you're going to keep praying. You're going to keep building but you're still going to have haters. So you just keep building what God has called you to. Just keep building. Your tendency is going to be to stop what you're doing and go and engage with every single person who wants to fight you. But look at what Nehemiah does. In verse 6, so we've seen the first couple of verses where he had opposition. We see his prayer, and then it says, hey, at last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. If you want to know what joy looks like, it looks like working with enthusiasm in the midst of opposition. It looks like choosing to keep moving forward even when you feel pushed and oppressed from all sides. That's what Nehemiah does. He just keeps on building. He keeps on going to work every day, showing up, doing what God had called him to do because he was remaining faithful to the call that God has placed on his life. And when we do that, you would think, then the haters just disappear. They don't. 
You read through the book of Nehemiah, continue reading in chapter four, they come back. You read in chapter five, they're still there causing problems. You get into chapter six, and they want to have a meeting with Nehemiah. And look at what Nehemiah responds to them in Nehemiah chapter six, verse three. So I replied by sending them this message. I'm engaged in a great work, so I can't come. I think some of us need to get in a better habit of not showing up every time somebody wants to fight. People comment on your social media. They've been blasting on your Facebook timeline. And every time somebody shows up with their fists drawn, I'm watching believers on social media show up ready to fight. We're arguing about whether kids should be in school, in person, or online. We're arguing about vaccinated or unvaccinated, mask or no mask. It's time for you to get engaged in a great work and quit fighting with every single person that wants to battle. Because the enemy wants to keep us divided. The enemy wants to, and if he can get you divided, he'll definitely have you distracted. Because you can't be engaged with a crowd and serve the king at the same time. That's why Paul says, hey, when you're a follower of Jesus, in his letter to Timothy, he says that you are a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. But do you know what he says about a soldier? He says, a soldier doesn't get caught up in civilian affairs. He says, if you really want to follow Jesus, you can't be focused on everything that's going on in the world because you don't live for the world. You have a kingdom. And you stay focused on the king's business. He says, so I'm engaged in a great work. I can't come. Why should I stop working to come meet with you? In other words, Nehemiah says, why should I get off the wall? Why should I stop doing what God has called me to do in order to spend time engaged in what you're doing right now? Because your goal is to stop the progress that God is building. I believe that God wants me to see this thing to completion. But the question that I would have for you is, are you engaged in a great work? For some of us, the reason why we show up to fight all the time is because we got nothing better to do. Because you're not engaged in a great work. You might be engaged in a good work, but it's not a great work. And the difference between a good work and a great work is does it make a difference in eternity? So a good work is you're going to work, you're showing up, you're fulfilling your role at your job, you're you're getting everything you need to, you may be faithful with your finances, trusting God, you're buying the house that you've always dreamed of, you're setting up your retirement, you're, you're doing all the right stuff. But that's a good work, not a great work, because at the end of your life, none of that stuff comes with you. Some of y'all are mad at the way other people spend their finances, and you've got more assets that you won't do anything with than anybody else on the planet. You need to be focused in a great work. So the question I would have is, are you helping people meet Jesus? That's a great work. That's what it means to be engaged in something that's bigger than yourself. Nehemiah is engaged in a great work, and he does it with a group of God's people. And that's one of the things that I love about serving here at Propel, being a part of the dream team, is that we're all working together to see more and more people meet Jesus. Because in the six years we've been in existence as a church, we've seen over 600 decisions. But can I tell you, there's still more people that need Jesus. So we're involved in a great work. 
I don't have time for every hater. I don't have time for every email. I don't have time for, for some of y'all on Facebook. I ain't got time because I'm engaged in a great work. And that's what I want for your life. I want you to find your purpose. I want you to be involved and engaged in a great work so that at the end of your race, you'll know that what you built is made to last. And what God's doing in you makes such a big difference. So through the book of Nehemiah, what we see is that Nehemiah prays. We see that Nehemiah is continuing to build on what God has called you to. And I just felt like at the very end of this message, the thing that I really needed to do is to help you let go of people and keep moving forward. That's what I want you to do today. So if you've been listening to this message for the last 29 minutes and 41 seconds, you've been wondering, what's the point? This is the point. In order for you to do all that God's called you to, you got to let go of Sanballat and Tobiah. And you got to let go of maybe your parents that spoke those words over you. You've got to let go of those painful words that were spoken over you in the past because you've been holding people hostage for far too long. And the platform that God wanted to build within you actually became a prison because you couldn't let go. Throughout this entire message, when we've been talking about haters, I can almost guarantee you that somebody has come to mind. That you've been thinking about this person through this entire message. And what you're probably thinking is, well, they really need to hear this message. And I'm going to send them that link on words and how to have power. No, here's what I think. I think God brought that person to your mind because he knows that you can't build what he's calling you to build if you're holding on to the pain of your past. Because when you hold people and try and build at the same time, you only become bitter. So today, what I want you to do, I think that the Holy Spirit brought those people to your mind so that you could let them go, so that you could forgive them, so that you could release them and continue to move forward into all that God has for you. Colossians chapter three, verse 13 reads like this. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, what's a grievance? It's a problem. If, any, if you're mad at somebody, if you've got an issue with someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. I love the thought of that because oftentimes when it comes to forgiveness, my first thought is, well, they don't deserve it. And that's the point. See, you and I have never deserved God's forgiveness. We talk about forgiveness all the time. And, and, and when, we, when we talk about it, we go, oh, God, I don't want to forgive them. They don't deserve it. And God's like, at what point did you deserve it? But he chose. He chose to forgive us. Not because we were worthy or deserving, but because he loved us. And that's what God wants for you today. I think that's where true freedom really begins. That for many of you, you've been enslaved to the words and the pain of your past. And you've been unable to build what God was calling you to build. 
But as you forgive, as you've been forgiven, your choices will lead, your feelings will follow. And the more you choose to forgive, the more you'll understand what God's forgiveness is like to you. So today, for just a moment, I think there's some people in here who need to forgive somebody. You need to let go of that person you've been holding on to. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed across the room today for just a second, if you're in here and there's been this name that's been coming to your mind over and over and over again, and you know that you've been holding on to a person for so long, but you need to let go, would you just say, hey, pastor, I need to forgive that person today by lifting your hand in the air and saying, that's me. I see hands all around the room. Here's what I'm going to do, church. I'm going to walk you through a prayer that releases those people you've been holding on to. So, Father, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. And we come to you right now in this moment, realizing that we have been forgiven of so much. And today we are letting go of the people who have harmed us in the past. So, Lord, we forgive them right now in this moment. I want you to say, Lord, I forgive, and then name that person by name. Lord, we forgive them. Lord, we let them go. And now I think the mark of true forgiveness is your ability to pray a blessing over them. So pray, Lord, we pray that they would encounter you. We pray that they would have a thriving relationship with your son. We pray blessing and prosperity over their family and their kids. Lord, we pray that you would encounter and move in their life like never before because we know that we all need Jesus. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Keep your head bowed and eyes closed for just a second because for some of you, you found that really hard or you found it impossible. Because what Colossians 3.13 taught us was that we forgive as we've been forgiven. So for some of us today, the first step in this is not to forgive others, but to allow ourselves to be forgiven by God for our sins. And here's what I want you to know. Maybe you were one of those people who mocked God or hated God at one point in your life. Maybe you've ran from him. Maybe you've been, just been trying to live your own way. Here's the good news of the gospel, that Jesus Christ came and died for every single one of us. That no matter who you are or what you've done, Jesus died in your place so that if you place your belief and trust in him, you can be forgiven of your sins. And if you need to make that decision today, I wanna invite you to do so just by lifting your hand boldly right now and saying, Pastor, that's me. I need to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Here's what we're gonna do, church. Nobody prays alone. We all pray together. Will you say this with me? Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for checking out this week's message. 
If you made any decisions for Jesus or you need a next step or have a prayer request, let us know by going to www.propel.church/hub. That leads you to our digital connect card where you can fill out all of that information as well as see what we have coming up here at Propel. Thank you again for tuning in and we hope to see you again soon.